a small child with a gas mask on asking for its mummy. Are we all? He, he then, yeah, later admits to being a con man. I think he, he gave himself up quite quickly, I felt, without much pressure. <laughs> but he, has... I think he's very submissive. <laughs> I'll do a little Google and see if that throws anything up. I'll revert my eyes while you do a little Google. Well, the other one that I've watched, Neil, is A Bloody Lucky Day. And this does sound like a 12-rated Wallace and Gromit show, <laughs> but it's not at all. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew, knew who? This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, our university challenge episode on the Ninth Doctor, National Treasure, Christopher Eccleston. My name is Adam Hemming and I've been joined by Captain Neil Shepherd. <laughs> I got a banana and at a pinch you can put up some shelves. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So we're going to be talking about the two episodes that we've watched for uh, The Ninth Doctor. There was a two-parter, wasn't it? And I've lost the names of the episodes. I'm finding them now. The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances are the episodes. And then after this, we will be uh, we'll be doing a little mini watch list talking about other shows we've been watching and what's coming out soon. But first of all, yes, The Ninth Doctor. What did you make of all of this, Neil? Well, let, let's face it, this was a huge reboot of the Doctor Who franchise, um, headed up by Russell T. Davis. These particular episodes were written by Stephen Moffat, who then became showrunner after Russell T. Davis. And it was a real change. I, I noticed lots of change. I mean, for a start, Stephen Moffat has come out with some of the most amazing episodes, and certainly as guest writer and a lot of the time when he was showrunner. And this is a prime example of how they moved Doctor Who towards the kind of tales of the unexpected, a lot darker, a lot more sinister, using a lot more horror tropes, for want of a better word. So that was very noticeable and very, very different to, you know, the previous Doctors before that. I thought Christopher Eccleston was a really interesting choice and became quite a controversial Doctor because after one season he left due to difficulties with Russell T Davis and just not feeling like it was an appropriate role for him. So he stands out, certainly on, on that level, different to any other. And also, I know you love your credits, you know, your opening titles, Adam. So this, I think, I'm pretty sure, it's the first time that we have pre-credit sequence, like we have action before the credits start. Normally in the past, all the Doctor Who's, started immediately with the credits they're chasing something which we find out later but also i think this is the first time that the credits don't include the doctor's face or the previous ones included the doctor's face and this is the first one that doesn't and the other notable thing just on a structure level is i'm not sure maybe there were films before but this is the first time that the episodes have lasted 40, 45 minutes. I'm pretty sure all the previous were within 30 minutes. Yeah, I think definitely generally the sort of general rule of thumb previously was sort of half hour episodes. And yeah, they moved to a, a longer format, which I think was good because some of those 
episodes that we've watched before have been four, five, six parters. I mean, I think Colin Baker had a twelve part. One whole series was one one story told in thirty minute segments. Whereas with this, it's generally more that they are sort of two parters or one off episodes, but that they're 40, 45 minutes long. You said it was darker. I think there's definitely some comedic moments within this. I mean, you've already referenced the sort of banana swap, but also the idea of Christopher Eccleston sending the bad guy to his room. And I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed a lot of that. I, I felt like he was having a lot of fun as the Doctor in those sort of comedic moments. And actually, you know, he can do the sort of quirky, intense character quite easily. But I, it was really nice to see Christopher Eccleston using his sort of comedy skills within this role as well. But yeah, it'd be nice if he'd have been around for a bit longer because I agree, he balances the comedy and the edginess really well. We'll go further into why he why he left the show when we get to the quiz section. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think he has what the young people call riz. And he's, you know... <laughs> Bucket loads of charisma, as as the, and that's essentially what the Doctor has to have, right? In order to, yeah. to be a successful Doctor Who, you've got to have that. And, and Christopher Eccleston has that in in spades, right? But I guess the other thing, I mean, we've talked before about the female companions, and obviously Billy Piper as Rose. I think Billy Piper has gone on to do some really brilliant things. But I feel yeah. like this kind of her her first foray into you know her her transition, if you like, from being a singer into being a an actor was with this Doctor Who role as, as Rose, right? I think in this episode, it doesn't um, give a good example of how strong a female companion that she is over her tenure. She's a little bit damsel in distress over these two episodes. But no, she is a fantastic, particularly as we move into the David Tennant era, She she's an unbelievably strong companion. And I guess it it had to be that way in these episodes because they were setting up this whole rivalry between the Doctor and Captain Jack. (laughs) The sort of love interest angle for Rose and Captain Jack was what was was a big part of of them playing the two two off against each other, right? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, as a bisexual man myself, the introduction of Captain Jack as a proud bisexual character was just amazing for mainstream tv as far as kind of inclusion and identity it's really important that anybody sees i guess role models but that it's okay to be who you are and that's not just bisexuality that's also any lgbtq plus any religion, any ethnicity, any any diversity, etc. And to see characters, I mean, Russell T. Davis is very, very good at doing that. He's done it, well, certainly in the Chitigatwa Doctor Who, but he also did it in years and years. Diversity, you need representation in the media that you watch so that, you know, you kind of feel like, I'm good. I'm okay. I can be the best I can be. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, even with Chris Eccleston, right? He is probably the most working class of all of the doctors. Yeah, doc- definitely Doctor Who. Yeah, to have an actor from a working class background playing Doctor Who, I think was a was a big change as well. Yeah, for me, Russell T. Davis just equals diversity, and I know that some people feel that he's too woke. 
But I do think it is really important for those of us who aren't necessarily privileged and are, you know, wanting to be represented in mainstream media. Yeah, definitely. Should we cover a bit of the plots then of this this arc? So we're in 1941, I believe, during the German Blitz of London. We're, we're in London and there is uh, a small child with a gas mask on asking for its mummy essentially <laughs> yeah are we all yeah and that's what kind of rose rose chases down and, and that ends up she ends up sort of meeting captain jack through this it turns out that captain jack is a former time agent and now he calls himself a freelancer i think he calls himself a conman well eventually he calls himself eventually, a conman. yeah he, he then yeah later admits to being a con man i think he, he gave himself up quite quickly i felt without much pressure <laughs> But he has, I think he's very submissive. Yeah. <laughs> but he's somehow got this uh well he again he kind of uses disasters. It kind of it links to that was it Colin Baker episode we were looking at with uh with the Rani, uh, sort of using yeah. um apocalyptic events and moments to to further their plan. So he's used he talks about using Pompeii previously, but his idea is to sell this alien warcraft. And then he knows that a bomb's going to land on it and explode it anyway. And then, you know, that's that's essentially the con that he's pulling here. Yeah, it's just bad luck for the buyer and they'll have a beer with the money that the buyer spent. Yeah. But what's happened is uh, the nanobots within this alien uh, spacecraft have been released and are trying to fix whatever, trying to heal and fix whatever they find. But they've landed on a small child wearing a gas mask. So they believe that that is what the human race should look like. So they're yeah. forming everybody into gas mask wearing um, <laughs> children, essentially, who are looking for their mummy. Yeah, absolutely. Again, huge credit to Stephen Moffat for building up the tension for this. I, I thought it was really. I thought the narrative was really well put together because it I th- I'm pretty sure it was the second episode before we found out exactly what was happening but before then we just had these terrorizing gas masks fused to their flesh creatures that initially were only trans that kind of was only transmitted by touch but then became airborne and uh, one of my favorite parts I think in the first I think it's in the first episode but um we have a guest cameo from Richard Wilson, much loved English actor. He played the sort of doctor in the hospital where essentially all of the patients had become transformed. And the moment where he transforms and essentially the gas mask sort of grows out of his face. That was was amazing. Yeah, really well done. Very spooky and chilling. I just want to say, Richard Wilson, so I was fortunate enough at drama school that he came and did a workshop with us. Um, He's no longer alive now, but an amazing, amazing human being. I think he appears in a future, well, future from this episode, Doctor Who, where he, I can't remember though, whether he plays the same character or he plays someone different. Interesting. He's obviously most famous for One Foot in the Grave, right? Yeah. uh, Sitcom that ran for many, many years. I'll do a little, I'll do a little Google and see if that throws anything up for you. <laughs> I'll revert my eyes while you do a little Google. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't list any future Doctor Who episodes. Oh, really? Those two. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong then. I, I thought he was in a Christmas special. Maybe. Maybe it's not. I'm not on IMDb, so it, it could well okay. be. Really lovely to see him appearing in, in this one. 
I also quite like the idea that the Doctor's nose had special powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, I think the use of horror throughout this and suspense was was really good. Again, there's a nice sort of bit where they're listening to a recording of the infected, if you like, child um, asking for its mummy. And then we start to hear the, the tape, the sound of the tape having run out, but we're still hearing yeah. it speaking and then Rose is like what's that noise and the doctor's like well that's the tape having run out which means it's in the room with us mm-hmm. it's really lovely the way that that you know the doctor had already picked up on that yeah and was that called holocom because that is what Jack Harkness can also do yes it's the weird thing of being able to sort of push out your I don't know. I don't really understand. The use any speaker. Use any speaker, whether it be the the phone at the TARDIS, whether it be a radio or any other kind of speaker, that both Captain Jack and these nanochroms can use this. Uh, well, what did you make of the whole uh, the whole ending bit? There's sort of lots of talk about dancing. So Jack dances with Rose. She's got a line which is used in the in the in the trailer of the world doesn't end if the Doctor dances, which is where the title comes from. There's a nice moment where she says, you're not Father Christmas. And he's like, who says I'm not? Red bicycle when you were 12. (laughs) Really lovely touch. But then it it ends with them having a bit of a dance. No, I I thought that was lovely because Eccleston has done pretty gritty drama previous to that. And so to see him really embracing the humour and the theatricality that... Russell T. Davis, I'm not going to say added because there was theatricality previous to him, but really embraced. And I found that really, really fun and, you know, made the Doctor, Chris Freckleson's Doctor, really likeable. Yeah, I think what I really, what I liked a lot is that the kind of frippery wasn't there with his Doctor. Yeah. Described by Captain Jack as a U-boat captain, you know, and he's got sort of a... (laughs) a long black leather coat and, and sort of dark clothes. But he's still got the kind of quirkiness of character and the sense of humour and all of that sort of stuff. And the unpredictability is kind of all still there, but without the sort of ridiculous outfits and long scarves and, you know. Yeah, and we all go through different stages in our life. And particularly doing these university, looking at back at the doctor, you just see different stages in someone's life. That's that's really relatable. Yeah, I would definitely watch more of these. I would, I you know, I'm yeah. very much tempted to go back and watch watch some more Christopher Eccleston episodes. I think him, both him and Billy Piper are really great. And I'm pretty sure that I watched a good number of them when they first came out. Yeah, but uh, it will be interesting to go back and watch some more of these episodes. And if else you wanted to pick up on from these two episodes before we go into the quiz. I guess Captain Jack, because he reappears in future stories, the fact that he cannot die at the end of the second episode we watched, The Doctor Dances, he was given by his computer 100% probability of dying. Then he ended up on the TARDIS, so he didn't. But watching future episodes, we know that he returns from death regularly. We also know that he, well, we suspect that he is the face of Bo, which comes up in um, the David Tennant tenure. I just think such an amazing, interesting character. The bisexuality is something I connect with. 
but also the fact that he can't die and that he continues and he eventually becomes the face of Bo. I just think it's an amazing story that clearly had to be structured by all the various writers. Yeah, and of course he goes on to to star in Torchwood, right? We mentioned this. Yes, oh well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is that a show that you watched? So I, I never have seen, I don't think I've seen a single episode of Torchwood. <laughs> no, I have watched episodes of Torchwood. It is very different. It's it's not as space age as, say, Doctor Who, but it is really interesting. And I'm, I'm actually, I, I was really impressed that he, that that character got his own series. It's. I'm just reading a little bit about what Torchwood was, but it was basically about a small team of alien hunters. Yeah, a little bit like the X Files, but with a Doctor Who vibe. Right, and it ran ran for four seasons and had some pretty impressive mm. cast members: Mackay Pfeiffer, Bill Pullman, Indira Varma were all in this. Yeah, I can't remember if I watched all of them, but I definitely watched a lot of them, and it's it's definitely worth a watch. Put it on your watch list. Okay, I will do that. Brand, right. Are you, are you ready for uh, Quizness then? Yeah, go on. Okay, here we go. I should say that Torchwood is available on the iPlayer if anyone does want to check that out. Okay, so uh, a multi-award winning actor. What was Chris BAFTA nominated for the second time he was BAFTA nominated? Was it A, Let Him Have It, B, Our Friends in the North, or C, The Second Coming? Our friends in the north. It was the second coming. The clue was in the question. The second time he was <laughs> nominated was for the second coming. The first time he was BAFTA nominated, you're right, was for our friends in the north. Yeah. That's that's what made his name. That's what made him famous. Yeah, absolutely. Before he was famous, though, after graduating for, from college, he was underemployed as an actor, uh, as many are. So what did he do? Yeah. Was it A, uh, working in a supermarket? B, working on a building site, or C, working as an artist's model? Okay, so I want to say a building site because that kind of fits his image, but I'm guessing it's not that. I'm going to go for model. This one is this week's trick question. Uh, It was all All of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you do get that one right, even if you'd gone for the other one. He was the first actor to play the role of Doctor Who, who was born after the series began. Uh, and speculation has been rife around why he only played the Doctor for one series. Which of these reasons was given by Chris himself? Was it A, that he fell out with the showrunners? B, that he'd been overworked and was exhausted? And C, that he only had a one-year contract as they didn't know if the series would do well enough? Well, I I, I googled this before we did this podcast and I'll be very put out if it isn't number one that he fell out with the showrunners. Yes, that is the correct answer. Now, there has been a lot of speculation about this. Mm. And, uh, the the kind of overworked and exhausted line was one that was put out there by the BBC and then it was quickly withdrawn as not being uh, correct. And then it was Russell T Davis actually, who said he only had a one-year contract anyway, as they didn't know if the series would do well. Yeah, he was asked in 2023 what it would take for him to return to the character on television. And he said, sack Russell T. Davis, sack Jane Tranter, sack Phil (laughs) Collinson, sack Julie Gardner, and I'll come back. Wow. Um, I mean, we we don't know the specifics of these 
controversies. But yeah, he has been vocal about not being on good terms with Russell T. Davis. And now Russell T. Davis is back in the helm. He's he's returned as showrunner. Who knows if we will see Christopher Eccleston again, but it was really nice that he did reappear for one of the specials. Well, he appeared for one episode of the TV series Heroes, playing a character called Claude. What was his special power as Claude? Was it A, invisibility, B, flight, or C, stopping time? I was going to say time travel just on Doctor Who, so I'm going to go stopping time. No, it was invisibility. No. Yeah, he's. He, I, I loved Heroes, certainly the first season, maybe second season as well. After that, it went a little bit off the boil. I think the right strike around the time had a big impact. But yeah, he's he's uh, in a one-off episode where he's teaching Peter Petrilli about how to use his powers. Brilliant. What a gift for an actor. Invisibility it means you don't have to turn up to set. <laughs> well, I meant that the character could could potentially be sort of could come back without actually Chris Eccleston being there. He also played Matt Jameson in The Leftovers. Again, one of my favourite, all-time favourite shows, The Leftovers. What was that character's profession? Was he A, a police detective, B, a surgeon, or C, a priest? I have no idea. I'm going to guess surgeon. It was C, a priest. Some of those roles linking back to other things that he's played, like the, you know, Son of God. But he also was in the TV show Fortitude, which is another one that I'd highly recommend and we've mentioned previously uh, when we were talking about True Detective. He was a marathon runner and a Man United fan, and he has an auditorium in his hometown, Salford's Pendleton College, named after him. So, yeah. So that's- he is brilliant in True Detective, linking to our other um, podcasts. But, yeah, he he's amazing in True Detective. He's great. I mean, he's done such such a vast body of work. We should say, you know, film, TV, stage, radio yeah. work as well. Like he is an incredible actor, and I think it, yeah, a big coup for Doctor Who to get him even just for the one season. Yeah. So David Tennant up next. Uh-huh. I, I I'm I'm not sure, but I think he might be my favourite Doctor. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has got to be up there with I think a lot of people's favourite yeah. Doctors. I definitely didn't watch much of the David Tennant era. I think I maybe have seen one or two. And obviously I saw the recent Christmas specials. So I am quite excited to sort of delve into David Tennant episodes. Um, He's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. Yeah. So I've got three choices then for you. And they're all, I picked two episodes. Two of them are two parters. And the third choice is two separate episodes, but there's a reason behind it. Uh, So the first choice is The End of Time. This was the final episodes of The Tenth Doctor. It's Christmas Eve and the Doctor is reunited with Wilf to face the return of an old enemy. So these were part of the BBC Christmas 2009 specials. Uh, So The end End of Time is the first option. The second option is Silence in the Library and The Forest of the Dead. The Doctor meets River Song for the first time as he and Donna face the Vashta Narada. And the third choice is uh, Blink and Midnight. Now, Blink, I've read, is a lot of people's all-time favourite Doctor Who episode. The blurb for that goes, only the Doctor can stop the weeping angels, but he's lost in time. So Sally Sparrow must fly into action. And the reason I picked another episode for, for this is that 
whilst the Doctor is in this episode, it's largely focused on the companion, I believe. So I thought it would be nice to pair that with an episode which is largely companionless and very much focuses on the Doctor, which is Midnight. The Doctor is trapped on the planet Midnight and the knocking on the wall begins. Okay, so having watched a lot of David Tennant's Doctor and also having just watched two episodes written by Stephen Moffat, Blink is possibly the greatest episode that Stephen Moffat has written with Weeping Angels. So I'm very much attracted to that. I'm very much attracted to Silence in the Library because River Song is such an immense character and an amazing actress as well as Alex Kingston. So I'm stuck between those two. Well, I know you're a big fan of this master as well, aren't you, Neil? And he appears mm. at the end of time. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a really, really tough choice. Maybe what we do is open this out to our listeners and get them yeah. to pick which one they think we should do. So we'll put this up as a little spot, Spotify poll. And if you listen on Spotify, you can engage there. Other, or, and we'll also stick it up on our on our Twitter so uh, or X. Any of those three, I would happily watch again. They've all got so much to talk about. Blink is, uh, you can just watch a craftsman at his work. Um, Stephen Moffat's writing is just amazing. And the narrative and the storytelling in Blink. Silence in the Library is so important with the River Song narrative and great performances and starts off a whole story that I kind of think similar to Captain Jack that we ought to acknowledge but then also John Sims as the master he's just amazing and that whole storyline spoiled for choice we are indeed and and maybe we shouldn't limit ourselves maybe we take a little bit longer over watching these these episodes and we and we have a little bit of a gap in our university challenge episodes because yeah we're we're not in any rush and if, if there is such a wealth of stuff you know, maybe it's worth us probably exploring the David Tennant Doctor, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. So, University Challenge, I'm not playing against anyone. So, does that mean I'm winning? Uh, yeah, I mean, the challenge is the quiz, but it's also kind of the challenge of us going through each Doctor, I guess. Let's discount David Tennant. Of the nine Doctors we've kind of looked at so far, is there anyone that you would say is not... It doesn't have to be your favourite, actually. It could be a Doctor that surprised you or that you've maybe you've enjoyed more than you thought you would or you, or you remembered that you would. I would definitely say that I, I, I'm i loving the Russell T Davis and that is bearing in mind future Doctors. So Christopher Eccleston is definitely up there. As far as the previous incarnations... I don't know. I guess Peter Davison was my first Doctor that I watched and loved. So, yeah, as far as previous Doctors, I would probably say Peter Davison is the most nostalgic for me. I was just so disappointed by those Peter Davison episodes. I think if I... The ones that I would go back and watch more of, certainly Christopher Eccleston, but I really enjoyed going back and watching some Tom Baker episodes. and And he had so many great stories that I would I would like to go back and watch a bit more of of Tom Baker and maybe a bit more of John Pertwee as well because I think that was quite a sort of fun period and I didn't really get much time I didn't have time to watch many of those so yeah I think I think for me so far it's got to be between 
between Tom Baker and, and Chris Eccleston for me. They were they're very fun pre Rusty Davis, but he really ramped up the game. If I'm gonna be honest, it, it will be within well, since Chris Eccleston onwards that I would say that the episodes are properly exciting and those would be the ones I'd recommend. Great. Well, uh, let's have a let's dive into a bit a little bit of what we'll do a quick watch list, shall we? What, what have you been watching much else? How's the Oscars watch going? Oscars watch. I'm halfway through at the moment. I need to get my gameplay on to watch more. But I do think there are some fantastic films out this year for the Oscars. I think Maestro is amazing. I think The Holdovers is very good. I've said this previously, but I don't think we'll get any awards. I think Oppenheimer is likely to sweep the board. Yeah, I watched Maestro recently and I had had some conflicted feelings about it. I think Harry Mulligan is very good in it. I think Bradley Cooper is very good in it. It didn't. It didn't massively grab me. I think the, the moments I enjoyed most were the conversations where they're being quite philosophical about about creativity, really, and that sort of stuff. Uh, I did enjoy the giant Snoopy coming past the window. That was a lovely, a lovely moment in that film. But some of it I just found a bit much. I, I think I, Maestro is about an iconic contributor towards music and therefore culture so i do think it's an amazing film i uh, i don't think it will do better than oppenheimer because i think that really does is an amazing film yeah i would be surprised if maestro picked awards up and i'm yeah i didn't i didn't love it entirely as a film it had its moments i i did thoroughly enjoy niad which isn't up for best picture but he's got Annette Benning and Jodie Foster are both nominated for lead and supporting actresses. Uh, and they are both incredible. I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard someone say Annette Benning's been nominated because she's Annette Benning. I don't know whether that was us or someone <laughs> else I listened to. But the work that she puts into that performance in Niad is incredible and definitely worthy of a, a nomination. I think they're both really, really tough competition in those categories. But yeah, I had a big old cathartic blub at the end of Nyad. Was, <laughs> would strongly recommend watching it on the old Netflix NYAD if you're wondering about the spelling. But yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm really glad I watched that film. I might watch it tonight because I haven't seen it yet. So it definitely wasn't me that said anything about it. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing it because I, I think Jodie Foster is amazing and Annette Benning, they're fantastic artists. Yeah, uh, Risa fans as well. It's, he's got a really, a really lovely role in that film. Um, oh, cool! I, I think it was, it's a good couple of hours well spent. How about non-film stuff? Have you been watching any non-film stuff? Yeah, I've got hooked onto Survivor Australia. This has been recommended to me by my sisters, and it's so addictive. Maybe not quite as addictive as the Traitors but it's definitely very, very addictive. And I obviously can't say anything for anyone who hasn't watched it, but I would hugely recommend watching it. I was recommended to start off with season eight and I haven't finished it yet, but once I have, my sister who lives in Australia is going to recommend a series that's even better. And I have to say season eight is absolutely awesome. They do go for it, don't they, the Australians with their reality TV stuff. I think, you know, the uh, Maths Australia is held up as being next level maths. 
and the trade is Australia. Yeah, season, see, season eight Australia is titled Brains versus Brawn, <laughs> and it is honestly, it's it's the first one. I think all of the previous seasons were set on islands, whereas this is the first one that's set in the outback. Honestly, it is addictive watching. Brand. Well, I actually haven't been watching, uh, well, I've been watching a fair bit, but a lot of stuff that I've already talked about, so I'm not going to kind of cover again. But one of the shows that I'm sort of halfway through is Big Boys, um, which I have mentioned. You love your boys. I do love the big boys. I mean, the fourth episode of this second season really got me good. It's it's such a charming and watchable show and, you know, generally sort of very, very funny and, and I guess quite light. But every now and then it just knocks you silly. It's really, I think, brilliant, brilliant stuff uh, and well worth a watch. Quite short episodes as well and short seasons. But yeah, Big Boys on Channel 4 is a big recommendation from me. And then a couple of new shows that I've been watching. I watched the first episode of Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Prime Video. This is the TV reboot of the film. But as mentioned last time round, it's a very different concept. So they are two strangers played by Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. And they're sort of put together and told that they are now acting undercover as a married couple. And they're kind of, it's, they work for this sort of shady organisation. We don't really know who they're working for. They're not sort of working for the government, but they are essentially put together as this couple and then given their first mission to do. We get a little cameo from Alexander Skarsgård right at the beginning of this, which is, which is brilliant. Donald Glover basically is is just very buff. It's it, there's a kind of a poor excuse for him not wearing his shirt, and <laughs> a poor excuse for him getting a photo of her. The sort of trust issues between the two of them is an, is an understatement. But it has this really cute and awkward relationship building stuff in it, quite gentle spy stuff, and then a twist with about fifteen minutes left, which was just brilliant. Thoroughly drew me into watching more of the show. So I am gonna. Stick with this one. I mean, the the kind of coming up in the rest of Mr. and Mrs. Smith stuff had people like John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Sharon Horgan, Michaela mm. Cole, and Paul Dano. So the fact that they are all still to come in future episodes, I think it's the kind of thing where each episode is a different mission and therefore there are different guest stars within it. And then the through line is, is their relationship developing, I'm assuming. But I think they're, yeah, they're both really watchable as leads. I know that it was originally meant to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge in that role. And that uh, she no, left, wow. Yeah, she left through creative differences. But I think Maya Erskine is is definitely no poor second choice. I think she's brilliant. So, yeah, I'm quite enjoying Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And again, I think that first episode was really strong. Well, the other one that I've watched, Neil, is A Bloody Lucky Day. And this does sound like a 12-rated Wallace and Gromit show, but it's not at all. It's a Korean drama, or a K-drama, and it's about this sort of hapless taxi driver who opens with a dream that he has and um, we see his family at the beach and then sort of weird stuff happens you quite quickly get the feeling you're in a dream sequence but at the end of the dream he's in a room full of pigs and apparently dreaming of pigs is good luck because throughout the rest of that next day he has he buys himself a lotto ticket he gets all of these people in his cab loads of customers loads of people sort of um, not asking for change picks up a celebrity all of these brilliant things happening to him in this day Meanwhile, there's a mother of a murdered boy hunting for clues to his killer. And those two storylines sort of come together in a way. I mean, it's it, it's essentially the sort of tagline for the show. So it's not too much of a spoiler to say that this, this taxi driver picks up a serial killer. 
And that's the sort of premise of the whole show. But yeah, again, there's 10 episodes of this all on Paramount Plus, and it's been sort of quite critically acclaimed. I thought this was a good, strong first episode, lots of tension in there and likable characters and a good production values to it all. I mean, I do enjoy the, the Korean dramas and I've watched a few now and a couple that I'd watched previously, I didn't make it past the first episode on. So I didn't feel they were as good. But this one, I'm quite confident it's going to be um, a better show. So A Bloody Lucky Day is available on Paramount+. Plus. Well, let's just quickly round it all off then, Neil, with uh, what's out this week, because there are a few bits and pieces that I'll just run through very quickly. The second season of Our Flag Means Death comes to Sky Comedy and Now TV on the 5th of February. This is uh, based very loosely on the adventures of 18th century would-be pirate Steed Bonnet, played by Reese Darby. Uh, and it's about his relationship with Captain Blackbeard, played by Taika Waititi. Um, we know already that this show has been cancelled, so this is the second and final season of Our Flag Means Death. But excitingly, joining the cast this season is Madeline Sammy, who was Eddie in Deadlock, big fan of her of that show, and actual Minnie Driver, and is also joining the cast for the second season. So I'm going to be watching that. Uh, there's also Gawed on ITVX from the 8th of February. This follows foul-mouthed anti-hero Reese, who is on his last warning from his headmaster. Uh, as a result, he's forced to mentor a new kid who has moved to Liverpool from down south. It's kind of working-class uh, scouse drama, comedy drama. And again, this looks like it will be a lot of fun. On the same day, on the 8th of February, we get One Day out on Netflix, based on a best-selling book from David Nichols. It's a new limited series. Obviously, there was a big film adaptation of this book. Um, but it tells the story of Emma and Dex and their their relationship over a period of 20 years. This version stars Ambika Mod, who was excellent in This Is Going To Hurt, and Leo Woodall from The White Lotus, and also Amber Grappy, who I've seen in a few different shows over the last couple of years. I think she's a really good actor as well. And then the final one out this week is Ted on the 9th of February, another show that's had a life as a movie but is now a tv show this is coming to sky max and now tv and it's a, a kind of i think this is a prequel story in that it's the foul mouth teddy bear's early relationship with 16 year old john bennett who lives in a working class boston home with his parents so this is essentially ted going to school i didn't watch the ted film did you no i haven't either i mean i'll i, I, I try there's lots of shows that i haven't watched New shows, including sort of Expats, Domino Day, Black Cake, Trigger Point, Season 2. But if anyone is watching those shows and wants to let me know whether they're any good or not, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on the social media at TVDNAPod. Watch out for our Doctor Who poll on, on Twitter. And you can email TVDNA at TVDNAPod at gmail.com. We'll be back early next week with our True Detective fourth episode. Thoroughly enjoying that. Uh, we're getting quite a few listens on that yeah. as well. We've got some brilliant theories. It was a lot of fun recording the last episode with Grace. So um, hopefully we'll get Grace and Damo back for that, Neil. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. And also, this is the era of Doctor Who that I absolutely love. Whether it be Russell T. Davis, Chris Frexton, David Tennant, who we'll move on to. Amazing writing. Stephen Moffat with the Weeping Angels and the episodes that he heads up. For me, I'm getting really excited about exploring this. Yeah, and it's the, it's the era that I have the least amount of knowledge on and, and, and previous watching. So I'm, I'm equally excited to get caught up on, on, the, on the new Who uh, stuff. 
So yeah, we've only got a few more doctors left to cover, but it's been it's been good fun. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Knew who?